Thank you so much, team, for leading us. And it's so good to see everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, we're good. We're good. It is uh, such a blessing to be here to open the Word, to worship together, uh, to grow together. Uh, I, I just want to say before we uh, open our Bibles, just again, uh, I want just on behalf of me, my lovely bride, our four kiddos, we have been overwhelmed with love and encouragement and prayer. And I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, it means more than we could ever articulate. And uh, I, my bride deserves like a medal, an award, a ribbon. Um, I had this whole grand plan to get on a plane, fly down on Thursday, and then drive them back uh, Friday. But the moving truck said, no, we're going to be there Friday. I was like, okay. So I stayed here. And she drove those kiddos and a dog up here and made it by supper time uh, up here. And so uh, you, you are amazing, and I love you, and I'm so thankful that God gave her to me. He knew I needed her in my life. So uh, if you got your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 17. Uh, is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, John chapter 17, and we are continuing in a series uh, just that we're calling known. And, and the heart behind this is that as a church, First Baptist Olive Branch, that if we are going to be a church that is effective in impacting its community with the hope of the gospel and of Jesus, then this church, and I say the church, I'm talking about the people, us, that we must be marked by these essential markers of a believer's life. So last week we talked about how we would be known by our love. And not just love, but sacrificial love. That this is the mark of how Jesus says, they will know that you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. And today we're going to continue in looking at, not just that we're marked or known by love, sacrificial love, but that we are known by our unity. Because here is the truth, is that God will reveal himself to others through our unity. Through our unity. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but, but uh, it is possible for me at times to get what I call information overload. Anybody there? Information overload, so I'm not alone. That makes me feel very, very happy. Um, because Wednesday, I uh, went to a title company. We're homeowners now. We're in our home. We're loving life. We're official Olive Branch residents. And so we sat down, or I sat down, along with Pastor Charlie. He, he helped me out on Wednesday. I uh, sat down and signed what felt like a mountain of papers to get a home. And, and, and so it was just like I was trying the best I could to hang in there. Just hang in there. Okay, this is this sign. This is this sign. This is this sign. Sign, sign, sign. And then there came to this point. I'm not 100% sure where it was, but there was this moment that my brain just kind of glazed over. And it didn't matter what you were putting in front of me. I was going to sign it. Uh, and, and it was just this information overload. But I guess it all worked. I have keys and we're in a home. But, but, but here, here's the thing. Is, is I'm thinking we, we all have those moments, whether it's signing papers on a home or just overwhelming situations in our lives. But in John chapter 17, where we open up the word, the disciples find themselves in a very overwhelming situation. That this is the eve of the crucifixion of Jesus. This is a Thursday night and the disciples are completely overwhelmed with what is going on right now. 
They're overwhelmed. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 16, verse 12, Jesus says this, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Like he had taught them so much that just earlier in the evening, they gathered in the upper room for the celebration of Passover where he instituted the Lord's Supper. And it was in this setting that that maybe like no other time before, they saw servanthood displayed in such a way that Jesus gets up from the table, puts a towel around his waist, gets the basin of water, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He begins to do this. And not only this, but he teaches them about sacrificial love. We talked about that last week. How This is how they're going to know you're my disciples. Not because of uh, maybe jewelry or or a t-shirt. It's going to be because of how you love. That's how they're going to know. That's how Olive Branch in our community is going to know that we follow Jesus because of the love that we have. He went on to teach him later that night about heaven. And, and I love how he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And he begins to talk about heaven. He says in John 14, 2 and 3, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? He had also taught them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 7 and 10, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And I'm thinking the disciples are like, uh-uh, no, <laughs> it's not to our advantage that you go away. It's to our advantage that you stay right here with us. But Jesus says, no, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And, he, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. He told his disciples that they're going to be a part of a greater work that continues to this day that we're a part of as believers. He says in John 14, 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. We get to be a part of actively sharing the gospel and seeing old creation become new. We see this with Claire's exception of accepting Christ and being baptized. Pearson accepting Christ and being baptized. Anybody here has a testimony of repentance and faith in Christ that you have been made new. Praise God that we get to be a part of that. He went on to teach them about prayer in John, 3, in John 14. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He went on to teach them that they would be scattered and that there would be Great tribulation. But listen to what Jesus tells the disciples in John 16, 33. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, cheer up. Isn't that an amazing word? That here their whole world is shaking and changing. And Christ is saying the time is now that he is glorified. He's going to the cross and he is telling them you're going to be scattered. There's going to be great tribulation, but cheer up. Cheer up, I have overcome the world. And let that be an encouragement to us this morning, church. Is that in light of all the things that are happening in our world. That if we are not careful to keep our gaze on Jesus. We will begin to buy into the fact that there is no hope. That there is no hope. But the fact that Jesus says, take heart. Cheer up, I've overcome. That is so encouraging. And by God's grace, may the Holy Spirit through the word be the loudest voice in our lives. Because if other 
outlets and media and and well-meaning people, if those are the loudest voices in our life, it will be very easy to become discouraged and it will be very easy for that to be the loudest voice in our lives. But by God's grace, let's listen to Christ and He says, take heart, take heart, I have overcome the world. So the setting is this, it's the eve of the crucifixion. It's under the cover of night that it's very possible that the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of crushing, is within eyeshot of where the disciples and Jesus are in this moment. That it's very possible at this point that Judas, who has already left the upper room, is scheming now with Caiaphas and they're gathering the clubs and the torches where they will go and they will betray and arrest Christ. All this is happening around. And it's in this place that Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven and he prays. That Jesus is on his way to die. And he stops to pray. Now, if you're like me, I grew up. I'm thankful that I grew up in church. I think I'm, I was born here pretty much or in the church. And, and that, that's all I knew growing up. I'm very thankful for that. I realize that's not the testimony of others, but that's mine. But I can remember from as early on, it would be like, okay, time to, time to bow your head. Time to close your eyes, fold your hands, and pray quietly. Right? Anybody? You do that? That's, how, that's what we do, right? Listen to what Jesus does. Jesus lifts his head up. <laughs> he, his eyes are open to the heavens. And he prays out loud. And this is a great encouragement to us. Because John the disciple, who wrote the Gospel of John, was in earshot of this prayer. And not only did he hear it, but we have the gift as the body of Christ to have this same prayer passed down to us through the word of God and that we have an opportunity to listen into this as well. And so as we gather around this word, John 17, it's what's known as the high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer, it's also known as the Lord's prayer. It's what some theologians have called the holy of holies in the Bible because you have God the Son praying to God the Father. It's the longest recorded prayer in all of scripture. And I wish we had the time to walk through the entire prayer, uh, but we don't. But what we're going to focus on today is Christ's prayer for us. So as he opens this prayer, he prays for himself. He then prays for his disciples who are immediately there with him. And then he prays for us. He prays for us. In John chapter 17, verse 20, the Bible says this. It says, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. In other words, he's not just praying for his disciples who are right there immediately with him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That's the church. Jesus, on his way to die, stops and prays for us. Let's not get over that. Let's not get over what is happening in this text. And the fact that those who will believe in me through their word, what's the word? The word of God. The fact that the word that we have has been gifted to us by God, all scripture, divinely inspired, divinely offered. Authors under the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit have gifted us this word. And the Bible says this in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And it isn't amazing that as you look around this room, that here we are gathered on a Sunday morning and we have 
mothers and we have fathers and we have sons and we have daughters and we have brothers and we have sisters and we have teachers and we have lawyers and we have nurses and we have, um, you know, engineers i don't know we got I mean, we got we got all kinds of people who have gathered here that the bond that we hold together as we gather in this place that the bond is much stronger than a team it is much stronger than a common interest it's much stronger than anything this world has to offer our bond is in the authority of the word of god and that all of us all of us understand that we are sinners Deserving of God's wrath and God's judgment. But the fact that he, we have received God's grace because we believed on Christ through the word of the apostles. And that our unity is rooted in the truth of God's word. And so here is Christ. That he is soon to be accomplishing the redemptive work for lost men and women to have their sins paid for on the cross. And this redemptive work is almost complete. But it's in this scripture that we see the intercessory work of Christ. But also being encouraged in this is that work that began those many years ago continues to this day. Because if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 7.25, I want to read it real quick. It says this, it says, since he, Christ, he always lives to make intercession for them. So not only did Christ on his way to die stop and pray for us, the church, but the Bible teaches us that Christ continues to pray for us. That the finished work of Christ is indeed complete, but his intercessory work continues. And so let's be encouraged even this morning. I have no idea what you walk into this room or even online in your living room with. But the fact that you may be soon to be losing someone that is very close to you. You may find yourself under like uh, just a lot of demands. Work is shifting, changing. Nothing seems steady. Financial duress. Your marriage is struggling. You're in conflict with someone you care deeply about. And it's, it's, you're, you're wrestling with that. Can we just take one moment to stop and to encourage all of us to remember that Christ is praying for you. Christ is praying for you. And so even there's times when, I'll be honest with you, I know like I I, I serve as a pastor, I'm humbled to do that. But there are times where honestly, I do not know how to pray. Because it is such an overwhelming situation. And do you know what I find myself saying in those times? Heavenly Father, I echo your prayer on behalf of whoever this might be that's walking through what they're doing. Because Christ always lives to intercede. What an encouragement. So the first thing in this text I want us to see is that Jesus prays that we should be united with each other. Don't miss this. What does he pray? He prays that we would be united with each other. In verse 21, the Bible says in John 17 that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me and that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and that they may be one, even as we are one, and in them, and you and me, and that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Now, it's possible to read that and be like, I don't think that prayer's quite been answered yet. <laughs> you know, because... Because even as you read the Bible, the disciples, they find themselves in arguments over who's going to be greater. And then if you continue in the book of Acts, you see Paul and Barnabas, they literally have to, have to split ways and go different ways. 
And that there's this disagreement. All of us have lived long enough by having someone who would call themselves a Christian. We see what is said or what's mentioned or the way someone's treated. And it's kind of possible to be kind of like, I don't know about all that. But what's important is this, is what Christ prays for is unity, not uniformity. In other words, that we all look the same, think the same, dress the same, act the same. There is, there is uniqueness in the unity. And what he is praying specifically, primarily for in this text is that we are one with him. That there is unity in him. That not primarily experiential unity with others. I'll talk about that in a moment. But that we have, by being in Christ, receiving him as the Lord of our life, we are at one with him. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 5, it says that we are one in Christ and individually members of it. Unity is what we have as believers. It is possible, I think, to sometimes lose track of that. But the fact of the matter is, is that when we place our faith and trust in Christ, we are one with him. Galatians three twenty seven says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. So we are one in Christ. Prayer answered, all of those in Christ. But here is the, here is the, the challenge for us, is that may our vertical unity with the Father impact our horizontal unity with others. That this is a unity that we strive for, we pray for, that we strive by God's grace to protect the unity of the brothers and sisters in Christ. That this is something that we are actively pursuing. And, and I'll just say this, just kind of as a side note, is that by God's grace, that God desires to see us as a church, obviously be in unity with him in Christ. We are, it's a fact. Scripture teaches that, but by God's grace, we strive for, we pray for, and we do whatever it takes to preserve the unity of the body. And so I'll just say this, if there's ever a question, if there's ever a concern, let's talk it out. Let's talk through it. God will be gracious to guide and to lead and to protect, but we must pursue that. And so this morning, Matthew 18 guides us, if there is a problem with another that you would go to them, that we would want to honor the testimony of Christ. And God uses the testimony of loving unity as a powerful witness. Unity. Unity. Ephesians 4 says this, that we would be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit and the hand of peace. This is His heart for us. This is His heart. And why? Why is this unity so important? Did you catch it? It is so that, verse 21, so that the world would believe in Him. The Bible says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It says again in verse 23, so that the world would know him. So that the world would know him that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Our unity is an invitation to a lost world to come and see what God looks like. That, that our unity is attractive. I mean, if you think about it, as we are out in our communities living and being known for the sacrificial love of Christ, because that is what he has called us to be and to know. And if there is a cohesiveness about the body of Christ as we are out and about, people are attracted to that. People are drawn to that and they want to know 
more. They want to know more. Real unity is a supernatural work and it points to a supernatural Savior, Jesus. Now last night I was sitting in my, on my couch and, and uh, I kind of obviously prep all through the week. But then Saturday night I just kind of set apart a special time uh, to just pray, in this, pray over the message, pray over you, uh, pray over the word. And I was sitting there, and obviously, as you can imagine, our house has boxes all over the place. But, but one of the things that we wanted to get set up quickly is what we call the puzzle table. All right, the puzzle table. Sheppy, hey bud, I hope it's okay. I totally did not ask you. Sheppy is the puzzle king. Look what daddy got, buddy. I got a piece of your puzzle. I, I'm sorry, I'll ask permission, I guess, later. Um, sorry. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Like, my son has put this thousand-piece puzzle together. It feels like a million times. He's, it's crazy. But I'm sitting there, and, and, and so here's as we're talking about unity. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about as, us as believers, that here we are, this, this, this piece of a puzzle, if you will, this, the body of Christ. And, and if you look closely, it, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense what this is. There's like a curve and some green and some black and, and a dot. And there's some sharp edges and, and all that. But here's the thing. God has created us unique in our unity. All right? That He has gifted every believer with spiritual gifts, which I personally believe if you're not actively engaged in serving the body of Christ and the world with the way God has gifted you, then you're missing out and we're missing out. And not only that, but He's given you heart. He's given you passions and He's given you abilities. And that He is giving every one of you um, uh, a personality. You know, some people can talk to this carpet and have the best conversation in the world. And for some people, you know, it's kind of like, um, oh, just kind of more on the quiet side. And then experience. And God uses it all. He uses it all. But here we are. And we were never meant to design. We were never designed or meant to live this life just kind of as this saved by grace, redeemed peace apart from the body of Christ and if you've ever had a puzzle where a piece is missing don't you just want to like throw it out the window or something like like you want to you want to you want to do some damage right but here's the picture I, I took a picture I asked Michael if he could throw it up I want to throw up this picture so this this little piece right here this little piece is a picture of a much bigger puzzle and then if you notice this is the picture of the completed puzzle if you look at it, there's no seams, there's no cuts, there's no bent pieces that are kind of bent up. There's like every piece is there. That's the design. That's the design of the body of Christ, that there is unity. And that even in this picture, that what you don't see is that this puzzle is all about the individual piece. Because it is not about the individual piece. Oftentimes we make it about the individual piece, but it is not about the individual piece. It is about the larger picture, and the larger picture is Christ. That as people see us, and they see our cohesive unity, that they are attracted and they are drawn, and Jesus tells us in the Word that they will, they will see your unity, and it is one of the greatest evangelistic opportunities that you have. And so by God's grace, we protect, we strive, we rest in our positional vertical unity with the Father. Christ says we are one in Christ, but yet we are one body and many members. And in my illustration, many pieces. But all of these pieces connect together, connect together to show a much larger, much grander picture and the picture is Jesus we should be able to hang a frame out front that says this is what God is like when they come in this place 
the work of redemption is soon going to be completed, but the work of the disciples was only beginning, and it continues through us, the church. The gospel came to us, it's been said. The gospel has come to us because it's on its way to somebody else. I mean, think about who invested the gospel into your life and shared that. And that's what God, God has called us to. In verse 23, verse 23, I don't know if you caught the end of this passage, but here's what it says. It says, so that the world may know that you, God the Father, sent me, God the Son, and loved them even as you loved me. Even as... The word means just as or to the same degree that. So God loves those who are Christ to the same degree and in the same way that he loves Christ. You say, I don't know about that. That doesn't sound right. That's what the Bible says. That there is an amazing love that God has and his love is limitless and it has no end. Jesus prays that we would be united with each other and he also prays that we would be united with him. Listen to this in verse 24 of 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. Heaven, that's heaven, where I am. To see my glory and that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know you that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I love the connection in that Christ prays for our unity so that the world will know and then in the next breath he's praying that we will be united with him forever in eternity. And here's a connection. Is that I love the focus that Christ turns his disciples' eyes toward in heaven. I mentioned it earlier, John 14, verse 1, it starts off. He sees the troubled look in the disciples' eyes. The, the picture there is of, of raging waters that he sees. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And what does he do? He starts talking about heaven. And then he's praying for our unity here. And so that the world will know. And then what does he start doing? He, he, he prays where they, we will be united with him forever in eternity. And, and here's what I'm convinced of, is that when we take our eyes off of heaven and eternity, it presents more opportunity for side argument, discussion, disagreement. But when we keep our eyes on heaven, and I'll be honest, I believe even in the past few years that I'm, by God's grace, looking more to heaven than I ever have. And I guess there's a lot of reasons for that. But, but, but what I find is that when we, by God's grace, can keep our eyes on heaven, you're going to see a lot more unity within the body. Because we are focused on what God has called us to do and why He's called us here. So by God's grace, may we guard and protect the unity of the body, rest in our unity in Him. It is a megaphone to a lost world that desperately needs Christ, and Christ is looking to the opportunity where as believers we will spend eternity with Him and our faith will become sight. That is incredible to me. He wants to spend time with me. Like, I'm shocked that my wife sometimes <laughs> wants to spend time with my kids, right? But He longs for the body to be with Him forever and ever and ever and see His glory. So how does this word apply to our lives today? And a couple things that I would encourage us with is one is be encouraged. Christ is praying for you. Christ is interceding for you. Hebrews 7, John 17. 
the intercessory work began, but the intercessory work continues. When you find yourself overwhelmed, discouraged, and you don't know what to do, be encouraged that Christ is praying for you. What a blessing. What a blessing. A second is that we would be challenged. That we would be challenged that Christ has designed you for unity in community and that you would take that step. Now, here's, here's, what I, here's been my, my experience in this life. Is, is There are often things that happen where the relationship may never ever be what it once was. But here's where I find peace. Is that when I lay my head down at night, that by God's grace and the power of Holy Spirit, that I have done everything that He has shown me to do to make sure that I have right relationships with others. And He desires that for your life. He desires that for my life. And so I would just encourage you to evaluate your relationships. Evaluate your relationships. Brothers, sisters, friends, cousins, co-workers, whatever that means. And it might be. It might be that God would use you in taking restorative steps that He would get glory through that in the unity of the body. That we would be challenged. And a third is just that we would be a testimony. That Christ wants to make known Himself through our unity. He wants to reveal Himself through our unity. That's what He does. That's what He does. I love this quote from Matt Carter, and I'll wrap up with this, but he says this. He says, when people with different preferences, hobbies, jobs, genders, backgrounds, skin colors, accents, and tastes love one another with a love surpassing all human love, they open a window to heaven. And people begin to feel a breeze from a far off country and in their souls awaken a long dormant hope that they want to go to that place and with those people who know, see, and feel something different, something beyond, something more. I'm convinced that our community is looking, is longing for Christ. They're longing for the gospel. And yet, as we are commissioned to go out and share this good news with others that He wants to use us and the unity that God has in our body, in this local faith family and other churches, that we are a kingdom-minded people and that we will go to the farthest extreme to guard and protect and strive for unity because it is a megaphone to a lost world that desperately needs Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us and and. and and we're going to sing a, a song of response. And, and I realize we're not doing a come forward invitation. But, but here's what I would encourage you. Like as we worship, as we sing, let's not, let's not be like James. It says over there in James, it's like you look at yourself in the mirror and then you run off. Like, like let's gaze at the mirror for a little while. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, to reveal, to show to God, to convict and reveal what He's calling us to do. And just our commitment to walk arms linked step by step together for the glory of God, for the mission of God. The glory of God and the mission of God. This community will never know we are for them, for Olive Branch, for our community, if, they are not, if we are not marked, known by our love and known by our unity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you so much for the blessing to gather God, both in this room and online around your word, I thank you for this prayer. I thank you for John 17. I thank you that on your way to die, you stopped and you prayed for us. 
You prayed for us. You continue to pray for us. You prayed on your way to the place of crushing. You prayed for our unity because it's the unity that is displayed that the world will be drawn, the world will be attractive to the gospel of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that you would find us encouraged and that you are praying for us. I pray we would be challenged and that we would look at the relationships around us. And by your grace and strength, we would take steps, whatever steps you might be leading us, calling us to, and we trust you with everything else. But God, we rest to know that you have led and guided and that you would be honored and glorified in that. And that as a church, God, that we would be a testimony to this city and this community of what unity looks like. The unity reflected in our lives and our church and with the Father are, are the same as the Trinity. What a picture of great unity. And Father, I pray for someone who may be here and they're hearing about this unity and how God's designed us for unity, made us for unity, that it's all about Him and to display a, a picture of Him and His glory to, to a lost world. But you may find yourself here and you're like, Man, I, I don't know. And, and, and what I'd encourage you with is, is, the, is the gospel. We keep talking about the gospel. It's the good news. And that here we are, sinners. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We are imperfect people. We will always be work in progress. Always. But the fact that God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he made a way where there was no way to have a relationship with him. That the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be, not you could be. And so if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life, then I pray today would be the day of salvation. Acknowledge your need for your Savior. Believe that Jesus is God's Son. Died on the cross for you. Placed in the tomb and rose from the dead. And you turn from self and sin and you turn to Jesus receive him as the Lord of your life and understand what grace is, acceptance is you'll be grafted into the family of God, forgiven of all your sin, be gifted the Holy Spirit to dwell inside you to give you the strength and everything needed to live a life that honors and glorifies him, you get linked in with the family, the body of Christ and live on mission for him and spend eternity with him as he prayed in this prayer so God, may you find us responsive, not passive. Work in our hearts. Deal with us, Heavenly Father. And Father, may our faith family and the kingdom churches that you've placed us in this community with, to partner with for your kingdom. It's your kingdom. It's all for you. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.